Have any of you been angry this week? Perhaps some this morning. I appreciate that a young person is also raising his hands because anger is not just a problem for adults. Children, young adults can get, be tempted to be angry at their siblings when they take their stuff, break their stuff. We can be tempted to be angry with our parents when we want to do things and our friends can all do it and we're not allowed to do it and why don't they let us do grown-up stuff now? You see it all over the culture. Uh, you see it in sports. It used to be it was just the hockey games where people fought, but now they're fighting in basketball, football, and racing, so everywhere. Uh, you see that that's what makes the news. Uh, you see it in workplaces. I've already said you see it a lot in homes. You even see it in churches. Here have cases where in leadership meetings, uh, disagreements lead to anger. Uh, Jay Adams, who is kind of the founder of the modern biblical counseling movement, made the statement that in his opinion, anger is involved in about 90% of all counseling cases. Now, I don't often disagree with my mentor, but I just don't know what the 10% of the cases are that he's referring to where anger is not an issue. I certainly counsel in many cases where there is a lot of difficulty with anger. Uh, real cases I've had. I had a wife who was disturbed by her husband's lack of attention to her. And she actually took his laptop computer and threw it into their swimming pool. Not justifying that. Um, I've had cases where a friend of mine had been working in the general workforce and he took a job with a company led by a Christian man. It was some kind of manufacturing company. And this guy was very, the leader, the owner of the company is very outspoken Christian. He's known for giving lots of money to Christian charities and churches and everything. But actually in the workplace, this man would be very angry. He would chew people out in front of other people. And my friend, like a lot of the other employees, kind of lived in fear of this guy. And he even said, you know, I was treated better with a secular company than I am by this guy who supposedly is a Christian. You wonder, why do people do that? Well, we as Christians actually know why we do that. It's sin. And yet, uh, I'm going to, in my message today, I'm going to contrast between the way that the world looks at anger, and I'm actually going to refer to the American Psychological Association and how they interpret anger versus how the Bible deals with anger. We're going to, you know, what is anger? Why do we get angry? And then how do we solve anger from these two different perspectives? And my own thought, by the way, is that like psychology can do a good job of observing human behavior and describing it. And when you hear their description, yeah, that sounds about right. The problem is they cannot interpret it correctly because they don't understand what the real problem is. It's sin. They don't have a category for that. And then, of course, they also do not understand the solution, which is the gospel. And the gospel gives hope for people not just to suppress their anger, but actually to become people of grace. So understanding what is anger. Well, Actually, anger is something that can be kind of hard to put into words. Like you, you feel angry, you experience anger, and different people have tried to give more sophisticated definitions. Um, the psychologists describe anger as an emotional state that varies in intensity from mild irritation to intense fury and rage. A biblical counseling friend of mine in his book about anger says, anger is our whole person active response of negative moral judgment against perceived evil. Everybody get that? Write it down. I've got a really simple definition for you. 
Anger is an emotion which arises out of a judgment. It's an emotion that arises out of a judgment. And, and the point being is we are made in God's image. And part of being in God's image, even though we're fallen, is we have a sense of justice. And we get angry. We're tempted to be angry when things seem unfair. And we've been mistreated. And somebody deserves something as a result. We, 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 we want justice to come. And we somehow think, if I could just tell him this or do this to him, uh, punish him, then that would make things right. Now, James chapter 1, verse 20 actually says, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God, but in our flesh, we kind of think it will. Anger has a physical component. In Exodus uh, 32, when Moses uh, came to the camp, when the people had made the golden calf, it said that his anger burned. Uh, when Cain became angry because his offering was not accepted, it says his countenance fell. And so you, we, we can, you know, anger is something you can see. Uh, my wife, I mean, I really, if I get angry, you know, I'm a biblical counselor, I, I never yell or hit, but uh, pastor, all that, by the way, some do, but by the grace of God, but all I have to do is not make eye contact and not talk very much, and she can smell it on me, even if I'm trying to hide it. The other thing is anger wants to do something. What did Moses do when uh, he saw the golden calf? Well, it describes in Exodus how he took that thing and ground it up and you know, made it people drink as he ground the stuff and put it on the water. You know, when we're angry, you, you want to do something about it. You, you, you feel this compulsion that's hard to hold back. Now, is anger sinful? Yes and no, okay? It's usually sinful. Actually, I would contend that for us, righteous anger is kind of a rarity. But we know anger is not always sinful because God is angry. He's angry with the wicked every day. Psalm 2 says that uh, he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. It says you need to do homage or kiss the sun, that you not become angry and you perish in the way. Uh, the scripture describes the anger of the Lord burning against those in rebellion. God is holy. His anger is righteous because he's perfectly just. And his anger is that way. Jesus was angry. A famous case of him seeing the merchandising going on in his father's house, the temple. And Jesus, who never sinned, is overturning tables and driving people out uh, in his righteous anger. I was reading just this morning in 1 Samuel, and when Saul wanted to kill David, it says Jonathan, the son of Saul, who loved David, became angry because Saul unjustly wanted to kill the servant of the Lord and the servant even of Saul, David. And so there is an anger that is righteous, but again, righteous anger, I would still say, is rare. And a friend of mine, Robert Jones, wrote a book called Uprooting Anger, and he talked a very good definition of righteous anger, in case you want to know if you had any righteous anger this week. First of all, a real sin must have taken place. Um, for example, the merchandising in the temple or you know, trying to kill David who's innocent. Uh, Spurgeon says, we do well when we're angry with sin because of the wrong which it commits against our good and gracious God. The, the psalmist says, ye that love the Lord hate evil. Now, so there should be a real sin taking place. The second should be that our passion is for God's kingdom, not our kingdom. 
Usually we get angry. It's not in proportion to how great the sin was against God, but rather how great the inconvenience was to us. And so uh, if, if it bothers somebody else, that's not a big deal. But when it's, you know, when it's my problem, you know, and again, in contrast, Jesus, it was zeal for his father's house and glory that he became angry. And so that's a question you ask yourself. Are you mad because God didn't get what he deserves or are you mad because you did not get what you think you deserve? Righteous anger is concerned for the glory of God. The third aspect would be that anger is righteously expressed. Righteous anger must be righteously expressed. So to use an example, I believe that the killing of unborn babies is a great evil and is a sin against God who makes us in his image, gives life, and he alone has the right to take life. It is a sin against God, um, and yet if I were to try to do harm to people involved in that, if I was to blow up a clinic or something, that would not be a righteous way of expressing anger because God has not authorized me to do that. So it has to be righteously expressed. Now, that's not a topic for today. Actually, at the marriage conference, I will talk sometime when your spouse wrongs you. There's a biblical way to go to them, not to punish them, but to make things right. Like Galatians 6, if someone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore them gently, looking to yourself so you will not be tempted. By the way, that temptation is probably anger. And so there's a right way to deal with being wronged but it's not to punish people. Our, because of our flesh, when people wrong us, and even if it was real wrong, rather than trying to restore them, our temptation is to punish them, and we move into the deeds of the flesh, which include outbursts of anger. Anger is also very deceptive. Hebrews 3.13 says we should encourage each other daily, as long as it's called today, lest we be caught by the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, sometimes it's just deceptive because all anger seems righteous to the person who's angry. Uh, they feel more righteous than they ever felt in their lives, and that can lead to bad expressions. Another would be is that we often try to use other words, like, I'm not angry, I'm frustrated, which is just another word for anger. Um, and then many people will say somebody else outside of themselves made them angry. This is a really important point is the temptation is to say, my child made me angry, my spouse made me angry. I'm going to tell you from the Bible, no one can make you sinfully angry. People can tempt you to be sinfully angry. But the scripture says in Galatians 5, 16, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. The, desire, the deeds of the flesh include outbursts of anger and dissensions. And so uh, the fruit of the Spirit includes self-control and love and joy and peace and all of these. And so other people can provoke us. Other people can tempt us. Circumstances can tempt us. But for the believer, we never have to sin. And again, I acknowledge people can make it really hard not to be angry. But if we're walking closely with the Lord, we don't have to be angry. Now, the Bible also teaches us that anger is dangerous. And um, some of you young people are like, who's the character in the Marvel movies, I think it is, that is kind of dangerously angry? The Hulk, right? Mild-mannered Bruce Banner, when he's happy, he's a nice guy, but boy, when he gets angry, he turns green, becomes gigantic, and breaks things, and hurts people, and I think it's a very effective device in the fiction where this is what anger does to all of us, 
is, you know, anger is very dangerous. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, he says, you've heard that it was said by the ancients that you should not commit murder. But he says, anyone who has hated his brother is a murderer. If you have called your brother a nasty name, you are a murderer. It's, Jesus says it's that serious of a sin. Anger is murderous by nature. Uh, there's the expression, uh, sticks and stones might break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's untrue, right? I'm against both. <laughs> that uh, some of the greatest pain some of us have today has come from what people have said. And I, in counseling, I've, I've tried to stop people, but you know, I hate you. I wish I'd never married you. The things they say, things sometimes children say to parents or parents say to children, are, are devastating. Uh, James, I'm sorry, Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27, uh, Paul says, do not, Be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. That's also a very vivid picture of what anger can do. Uh, many years ago, I was counseling a former gang member, and uh, he had married his girlfriend, they had a child together, and he was still struggling with anger, and things weren't always perfect, and so he'd get tempted to be angry. And it was a danger to his marriage. And I tried to explain to him, let's call him Jose, that if somebody was trying to break into your house to hurt your family, what would you do? Well, he's a macho guy. I would fight them. I would do whatever it took. I said, you've got to realize your anger is leaving the door of your house open for the devil to walk in and wreak havoc. That's what the passage says. Your anger is a danger. Um, those who give in to anger at risk of losing control. I love Proverbs 25, 28. Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. So like children, you know the story of Jericho, right? When the walls were up, the Israelites could not get in. When the walls fell down, they were defenseless. And the Bible is saying when you give in to your anger, uh, it's like the walls have come down and people who are angry have done incredibly bad things things you would have never imagined you've done, would have done otherwise. Now, the psychologists also recognize that. They say that when anger gets out of control, it turns destructive and can lead to problems in your work and your personal relationships. It can make you feel as though you're at the mercy of an unpredictable and powerful emotion. Anger destroys relationships. Some people hurt other people physically, break things. And then anger leads to many other sins. The proverb says, an angry man stirs up strife, and a hot-tempered man abounds in transgressions. Just as you've heard from 1 Timothy 6, the money, the love of money is the root of every kind of evil. You know, people for the love of money have committed every sin. Same thing is true of anger. All of the Ten Commandments have been broken by people because of anger. They've stolen, they've committed immorality, uh, you name it. Uh, bitterness, rage, fighting. Another danger is anger is also contagious. It's like COVID, I think. <laughs> Proverbs 22 says, Do not associate with a man given to anger or go with a hot-tempered man, or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. Uh, again, speaking to the young people, when I was about 13, well, 14 years old, I got in with a group of friends who cussed a lot. And uh, I hadn't cussed before, but they taught me to cuss. And being around them, we played golf, which gave us more occasion to cuss. And uh, when I was about 15 years old, I became a Christian. And by the grace of God, I stopped wanting to cuss. I also changed friend groups. 
And because Proverbs also says, 1320, he who walks with the wise will be wise and the companion of fools will suffer harm. And the Bible says it's dangerous to hang around with angry people because they will have influence on you. So anger does all kinds of damage. Well, then why do people get angry? Well, secular psychology typically speaks in terms of nature and nurture. Uh, APA, the American Psychological Association says some people get angry more easily and more tensely than the average person does. And they talk about nature. Uh, one cause may be genetic or physiological. There is evidence that some children are born irritable, touchy, and easily angered. Those children would be called boys, <laughs> having raised three of them. But also nurture. Research has shown that family background plays a role. Typically, people who are more easily angered come from families that are disruptive, chaotic, and not skilled in emotional communication. And by the way, not only I think are their observations accurate of what anger is like, I think it is true from, for us as Christians, we recognize there are some of us who just by nature, just like from a very young age, we struggle maybe with, with fear, depression, or lust, or substance abuse. And for some people, their big struggle is anger. And it's also true, and like I was raised in a home, my father kind of ruled by anger. And so people, I'll talk counsel people, and they'll describe a family where people were always yelling and fighting. Those can be influences on you, but they are not determinative. That's an important point. They're not determinative because believers in Jesus Christ have a new nature and don't have to live according to their old flesh. The Bible describes anger as a sin issue. I already quoted Matthew 5, where Jesus said that anger is, in a sense, is sinful anger is murderous. Colossians 3.8 says, but now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. And so uh, the Bible tells us that these expressions are harmful. We're going to get into why we do that in a moment. The Bible also tells us where anger comes from, and this is the part they don't get. Jesus in Matthew 7, Mark 7, sorry, uh, says it's from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things proceed from within and defile the man. That's another reason I can tell you people can't make you angry. <laughs> they can tempt you. There's some really annoying people in the world, many of them on the roads, but they cannot make you angry. Jesus says when we sin, murder being on the list, which is anger, that it's because of something's wrong with our, our hearts. It's something wrong with our souls. Anger begins there. Uh, our, our pride, our self-righteousness, <clears throat> our insistence upon justice. Uh, a key passage, and if there's kind of one passage you Remember, this would be one of a couple anyway. I would really want you to remember in James chapter 4, James writes, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. So James is saying, you know, it's, by the way, this is just an amazingly wise thing in the Bible, okay? He's, ask, he's asking a great question. Why do you quarrel? Why do you get angry at people? He says, I'll tell you why. It's because you want stuff. And when you don't get what you want, 
You get angry. Uh, the psychologists recognize that the underlying message of angry people is things ought to go my way. They feel that they are right and that any blocking or changing of their plans is an unbearable indignity and that they should not have to suffer this way. And here's where it really gets tricky is how we think about it. Because usually when people get angry, what they wanted was something they thought was really reasonable. It wasn't they wanted to do something really wicked and evil. It's like, I just expect people to treat me this way. I just expect this is the way things should be. And when they don't go the way they should be, uh, I, I, I get frustrated. So concrete example, I'll give you a couple. One would be, let's say you have uh, a wife. She's been married 12 years. It's her anniversary tomorrow. What is she hoping for? What does she want? Well, she wants a husband who will remember her anniversary. And so you can just picture her and uh, the night before her anniversary, he hasn't said anything yet. I wonder, he's probably got a big surprise planned for me. And she wakes up in the morning thinking, maybe when I come downstairs, there'll be a gift at the breakfast table. Well, no gift. Well, maybe today there'll be a big delivery of flowers. That's what's, the, the, it's gonna be flowers. Well, all day goes and that doesn't happen. Amazon truck doesn't come dropping off some wrapped gift. Think, well, he'll take me to dinner tonight. So you don't even, she doesn't even bother making dinner. Surely we're going to go out to dinner tonight. And then what happens? He gets home, what's for supper, honey? He forgot. Now, there are two possible reactions to that, aren't there? By the way, this actually happened to a friend of mine who's an author, and he wrote about it in one of his books on marriage. He actually did this. <laughs> he was the guy. Um, and his wife responded very graciously. Honey, do you realize what you've done? And he said he's never done it since then. He's about my age, so he's had 30 good years after that major fellow. But that's not the often reaction, is it? What kind of husband are you? How dare you forget her anniversary again? You could just imagine all the crummy stuff, sinful stuff coming out of her heart. In her mind, she deserved it. Is that too much to ask? Uh, I've seen cases of, of parents with their children, and, and they want the children to be well-behaved. Or maybe they just, I want a little peace and quiet so I can read a book or check my email, and my kids are all over me, or they're misbehaving, and they're interrupting. I actually had a case of a, a mom who, whose kids were misbehaving, distracted her, uh, dinner's burning, and she mistreated the kids to the extent it might, be, might have been something could be like abuse. And it's not wrong to want a clean house, well-behaved kids, dinner on time, unburned. But we live in a fallen world and things are not always going to go our way. People are going to let us down. And the Bible says we, we become angry because... We want something too much. And here's the basic principle from James 4, and that is that even a legitimate desire, if it becomes a controlling desire, can become a sinful desire. To put it another way, if you want something so badly that you'll sin in order to get it, or if you want something so badly you'll sin if you don't get it, then that's become kind of an idol. And you can't blame the anger on the person who did not give you what you thought you deserved. Um, angry people have the belief that they have rights. This is where a lot of abuse comes from. Abusers, when they mistreat a spouse or a child, think they're executing justice, think their anger is righteous, and they're wrong. I see men who are obsessed 
with Ephesians. We're getting to that. <laughs> we're not there yet. But there are men who are obsessed with Ephesians 5.22, which says, Why, you know, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And, and they're demanding so much and expectation, so much from their wives. And these guys have never gotten to Ephesians 5.25, which says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And, and these are problems. Now, angry people sometimes succeed in getting what they want by bullying others. A lot of people just to placate the angry person, yeah, fine, whatever you want. In the long run, though, they don't really get what they want, and often they lose everything. Um, what they sow, they reap. There are many unbiblical approaches to dealing with anger. This is where secular psychology deals with anger management. And, and because they don't understand the problem as being sin in the heart, they don't really have the tools to address that problem. And so they'll, they'll go through various exercises of kind of holding it in or displacement. I even remember my dad kind of like psychology. He said, well, just if you're mad at your brother, yell at a pillow. I didn't really find that to be very satisfying. <laughs> um, and there are calming, you know, just, they say, picture yourself at a beach with palm trees and the wind blowing. And um, there's actually one thing on the website that says, picture yourself as a god or goddess, a supreme ruler who owns the streets and stores and office space, striving along and having your way in all situations while others defer to you. Okay, that I think really uncovers their hearts. Um, you see, these secular methodologies can never really deal with the problem of sin. Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 7 says, The mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God. It does not subject itself to the law of God. It is not even able to do so. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The power in the flesh to try to do better is cleaning the outside of the dish, but the inside is still filthy. And sadly, many Christians have been influenced by secular psychology. Uh, again, there are anger management classes, and for unbelievers that might give them some methods of suppressing or redirecting anger, the gospel just does so much better. The Word of God doesn't just tell you how to hold it in. The, the Bible actually puts out the fire. And so in the, the key is Proverbs 4.23 says, watch over your heart, for from it flow the springs of life. If you really want to deal with anger, you have to deal not just with yeah, again, we've all experienced, right? You're really, really upset. You're holding it in. You're thinking all these thoughts. You say, I'm just going to try not to say it. I actually, this morning, was texting with a friend in Europe who was very angry with his wife about something, and he's all stirred up in his heart, and he just wants to get it all out. And I'm begging him, please don't. <laughs> Let no wholesome word from, come from your mouth. Only what is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that may give grace to those who are here. He's not ready to give grace. Um, our hearts need to be changed. And what actually happened, and now you can, we can put the card back up. Some of you should have gotten this in your um, uh, email or something, a reference for this morning's worship service, is that as I counseled so many angry people, I will admit more men than women, but plenty of women as well, my goal, or as I, I was dealing with it, I realized that what we say to ourselves in our heart is very important. That's Proverbs 4.23. A famous Welsh preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, made a famous statement about, it's actually depression, but it, it really, depression and anger, by the way, have a lot to do, it's both cases, I don't like the way things are, it's just how you're gonna react. But he said, we need to stop listening to ourselves and we need instead to start talking to ourselves. 
If you just listen to yourself and let yourself go on autopilot, you're going to be tempted to anger and bitterness. It's just going to build up. We need to tell ourselves truths from the Word of God to put out the fire. And so what I was doing for a long time is I would tell a guy, okay, buy, you know, get an index card, little three by five, whatever index card, four by six, and I want you to write down some Bible verses and some principles from the Bible to remind yourself when you're tempted to get angry. If, if, if James says, be slow to anger, slow to speak, well, instead of just counting to 10, which is not all that effective sometimes, it might slow you down, but instead, I'm actually count to five and tell yourself truth from the Bible that might help calm the anger by truth in the Word of God. And so when you're angry, uh, you need to you know, deal with these five things. And this is just my list from the Bible. So number one, if you're angry, the first thing you need to ask yourself is, what do I want that is tempting me to be angry? If you're angry, it's because you want something too much. It's back to James 4. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? You, know, you have these desires, and when you don't give what you desire, you kill. I don't think people in the early church were literally stabbing each other physically. I think it's just what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 5. And so, you know, even in my examples, the introduction, the wife wants her husband's attention, the one who threw the computer in the swimming pool. Um, it, it wasn't wrong that she wanted that, but then when she didn't get it, she wanted it so badly she was willing to sin as a result. And so when you're angry, you know, it can be, I want respect, I want love. I want attention, you know, whatever we think is that we deserve. And again, the thing you want may, may not be wrong, but you have to, as you continue, it says you do not have because you do not ask God, is that in a fallen world, you're not going to always get what you want, and you have to turn to God when it's not going your way. And so, uh, and actually, I'm going to relate this to some approaches to counseling that are kind of mixture of the different things is some of you are familiar like with the love languages and you identify, well, this person likes physical touch and this person likes words of affirmation and this person likes quality time and this person likes gifts and you go, there's, anyway, here's the problem. What if like your love language is gifts and your spouse doesn't speak that language <laughs> or words of affirmation and your, your spouse is not very good at that? Well, if you're living for that and you're dependent upon that, you're going to be tempted to get angry or even give up. The point is you have to look to the Lord to give you what people can't give you. Jeremiah 17 says, if you trust in people, you'll be like the bush in the desert. If you trust in God, you'll be uh, secure like a tree planted by rivers of water. And so it's not wrong to want the gifts or whatever it may be, but as a believer, you're not dependent upon that. So if you're angry, you've got to tell yourself, I I'm angry because, you know, what do I want? What's triggering me to be angry? And I need to get the focus off of that unto the Lord. And then the second thing I need to tell myself, and by the way, like I've made these into cards. You can download this and make your own cards. Uh, people carry it around, put it on their cars, especially men who drive in anger. Um, I am not God. Now, what I mean by that is when you're angry, you want to punish people. And uh, Romans 12 says, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. Later in James chapter 4, he, he says, don't speak against each other. Don't judge your brother. And then he says, 
who are you to judge your neighbor? You know, God is judge. And, and again, when we've, we sense injustice and we want to punish somebody, uh, that's a very dangerous and sinful place to be. Uh, again, Romans 12, do not take your own revenge. And by the way, if some horrible injustice has been done to you, I mean, human justice fails, sometimes even church justice fails, you don't have to take revenge. You leave that to God. Jesus, when being reviled, he did not revile in return, but entrusted himself to him who judges justly, 1 Peter 2, 23. And then there's another magnificent example of this in Genesis chapter 50 about us not being judge of those who have wronged us. And it's in the famous story of Joseph. You know the story. Uh, kids all know the story of Joseph, right? That his brothers were jealous in Genesis 37. What do they do? They beat him. They threw him into a pit. They left him to die, but then they had the chance to sell him as a slave. And so Joseph spends like more than 10 years, first as a slave and then as a prisoner, all because of how mean his brothers were, very sinful. And so what happened is, you know, you know the story and Joseph's brothers and the dad come to Egypt and Joseph is prime minister. And what happens at the end of the book of Genesis is Jacob, who's the father of Joseph and his brothers, dies. And so in Genesis chapter 50, verse 15, Joseph's brothers get nervous. As when, when the brothers learned that the father was dead, they said, now Joseph is going to get us. Now Joseph is, is going to, you know, hold a grudge against us and pay us back for all the wrong we did to them. And so they sent a message to Joseph saying that, oh, our father charged us before he died that we should tell you that you should forgive us. Now, my opinion is if Jacob wanted to tell Joseph to forgive them, he had plenty of chances before he died without, but regardless of whether that's an accurate reporting of what happened, what Joseph said, they fall down. We are your servants. And what does Joseph say? Most of you know what he said second, which we're going to get to. But the first thing he said is, am I in the place of God? And the answer is no. The point being, even though he was the prime minister, even though he had authority to punish them, that he says, it's God's, pl it's God's place to deal with all the wicked you did to me. It's not my place. Well, if, if Joseph... <laughs> didn't want to punish his brothers, we're not in the place of God. And when you're angry and you want to punish somebody and you want to be mean to them, you, you're tempted to play God. I am not God. God has not called me to judge, Matthew 7 as well. And then the third is probably the most important, and that is remember that God has been very gracious to me. I love Paul in 1 Timothy says, not I was chief of sinners, but I am foremost. I am chief of sinners. There's no one about whose sin you know more than your own. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Okay, you have been forgiven much. The, the Lord who forgave you, he taught us to pray, forgive us our debts or our trespasses as we forgive our debtors or those who trespass against us. And he tells us the parable in Matthew 18 of the unmerciful servant, the man who had been forgiven 10,000 talents, didn't want to forgive a hundred denarii, a tiny fraction, almost uncalculable fraction. And so the point is, if, if you realize that your sin is great, 
Though your sin be scarlet, he's made it as white as snow. He's cast it away from you as far as the east is from the west. It's through the work of Christ that Christ died for your sin once for all. He was the just one dying for you who were unjust to bring you to God. And if you understand God's mercy and grace to you, then you will be a merciful and gracious person. And I will speak personally that in the deepest hurts of my life, when I start thinking about how great my sin is, sometimes even remembering my sin specifically, and realizing that I have been totally cleansed by Christ, I can't stay angry. For a person who understands the mercy of God to them, the extent of their sin, uh, God, if you realize how gracious God has been to you, you will be able to become a forgiving person and not an angry person. And then fourth is God is in control. Now this has a couple of implications. By the way, angry people are angry because they're not in control. They want things to go their way. They're not in control of the traffic or plans or whatever it is that's not going their way. Well, there's the other thing Joseph said to his brothers. That's the one you probably know better in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. He says, as for you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, that many lives might be saved. And this is something, since you guys are so well-versed in sound theology, you know this, that God works all things together for good for those who love him, for those who are called according to, God, to his purpose, that he works all things after the counsel of his will, which means even if somebody wrongs you, it doesn't mean they're justified. Joseph's brothers didn't get extra crowns for being part of the plan. They were guilty. But God is so mighty and sovereign that even when people wrong you and disappoint you, that's part of his plan. And you have to acknowledge he's in control, I'm not in control, and if I didn't get what I wanted, ultimately he didn't think I needed that right now. I also could be comforted by the fact that he was in control, as promised he will not allow me to be tempted beyond what I can bear, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape. I don't have to react sinfully. God knows what I, he's, how he's made me, and I can within this, endure it without sinning, which is the fifth point, which is remember who I am in Christ. I love Romans 6.11. It's in the context of the whole chapter 6. It says, uh, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And, and that's where he's summarizing the first half of the chapter, where your old self has died with Christ. You've been raised a new self. And as you're your old self was in the likeness of his death. You've been raised in likeness of the resurrection. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Whoever's in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away. New things have come. And so, by the grace of God, I am no longer a slave to sin. Maybe before you were converted, you couldn't have controlled your temper. Uh, but now that you're a believer, you've been set free. It's back to Galatians 5, 16. Now you can walk in the Spirit and not exhibit the deeds of the flesh. Uh, I grew up in a home where my father controlled us with anger. Even as he was 80 years old, and my last memories of being around him um, several years ago, is he got angry a couple times at me. And I would add, for no good reason, but I'm not angry about it. Um, it was very sad to me. And I can remember, so you know, autopilot for me, even when I was first married, was tempting, again, not to be as loud as my father was, but in my own subtle ways of no eye contact and quiet or grumpy, uh, to be angry with Caroline, angry with kids. And I can honestly say by the grace of God, by the work of the Holy Spirit, that God has helped me 
And if my wife were here, I think she'd say, yeah, Jim has changed. Why is that? Because I'm united with Christ. And for a real believer, he changes us. And now that we are in him, we can live differently, no matter what our family background, no matter what our genetics. So those things, like I said, I, I've given out probably thousands of these cards. They're actually on my website, like five different languages. Um, but just to, to, to summarize those principles, I'm going to actually tell you a true story. Is uh, Several years ago, I'd actually been working on this. I, I turned it into a little mini book, Help My Anger is Out of Control. It's got the five things in it. And I, I, as I was polishing the thing off, I'd actually been up in the mountains, and it was a church retreat, and I used the free time to write on my booklet, kind of excited about it. Um, with people and we're coming down. It was in the mountains of Southern California where there was no cell coverage, which can be a nice thing. We're coming down the mountain and as we get within range of a cell tower, my wife's phone just lights up with all these messages and it's like emergency. And there's a case that she was counseling where there was an extraordinarily tragic family problem involving stepsister, brother, parents, that they needed her help that afternoon. And so as I'm coming down that hill, I was thinking, relaxing afternoon, watch some football, take it easy, be well rested to preach tomorrow. No, thinking, okay, I'm gonna go home, I'm gonna change clothes, I'm gonna be right out the door again, I'm gonna be dealing with a tragic situation, that's gonna be pretty hard. So as I'm going home, uh, another factor in this situation was that our 20-something son was still living with us and we'd left him there. And as we get home, uh, we get there and he's not there, but he's left all this perishable food lying around the kitchen and on a tray table with the TV is still on and the house is just a horrible mess. It's like a pack of raccoons got in there and just did everything they could in a couple of hours. He's nowhere to be found. Food is spoiling. And guess how I felt? I could feel myself getting hot and I'm... And I'm actually plotting in my mind. I try to call him right away, which be slow to anger. That was a bad decision. Slow to speak, slow to anger. Thankfully, now, he did not answer. But that just made me more angry <laughs> or tempted me to be more angry. And as I began to think about it, I go, let me see something. Okay, what do I want? I want a restful afternoon. I want a son who keeps the house clean, doesn't spoil the food, respects the privilege of living here. Okay, um, I'm not judged. It doesn't mean I don't maintain standards in my own family, but I did not want to fix the problem. I wanted to punish him. I wanted to change the locks, put his stuff in plastic bags, leave it on the front yard, and never talk to him again. That was excessive. Um, God has been gracious to me, uh, knowing my own sins and failures. I've done worse things than that in my life. And if God has been great, my son is not even a believer. And so I need to reflect the grace of God. Doesn't mean I don't deal with it. God is in control. Actually, that fit really well. It's now the conclusion of my booklet <laughs> and this sermon that uh, God works these things for good and he is in control. He did allow it to happen. And then I'm a new person in Christ. I don't have to respond to this the way my father would have responded to this. Because I'm united with Christ in his death and resurrection, I'm a new person and I'm able to live differently than I used to. So there's hope in the gospel. Now, one last thing, and that is that if you have never repented of your sin and sought the forgiveness that God offers through his son, Jesus Christ, the Bible warns that God is angry with you and he's justly angry. 
because he created you to live for him and to love him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And instead, you've gone your own way. Even if you've not killed anybody, you've still lived independently of God and not submitted yourself to him. And he was holy and just. His just anger is against you. But today he offers you hope if you will repent of your sin and if you will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ who came, and the, the word used for Christ's death on the cross, one of them is a big word called propitiation, which means to turn aside anger. And Christ died on the cross as a substitute for sinners, that he received the just punishment we deserve, that we might be forgiven and we might be made new. And if you think you can make yourself better without that, you're also wrong. It's only in Christ we can reflect the grace of God. Those who know the grace of God, experience the grace of God, should be able to demonstrate the grace of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your mercy to us, though we deserve to be under your wrath forever, that Christ has come to die in our place. Father, for those here who may not yet know him, I pray that you would help them to be convicted of their own sin and to find the hope of the gospel to be real, that you sent your son into the world to turn away your wrath from us as he bore it himself. And for those of us who know that, help us to live it out as we are people of grace and not judgment, as we acknowledge your sovereignty, as we let you be God, and as we want you more than anything else. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.